What do you think of when you hear the word queen? Well, some of you classic rockers are thinking about Freddie Mercury, just uh, featured in the Oscar-winning film, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I had a brain cramp for a minute there. What the film doesn't show, of course, is that just prior to his death, Freddie Mercury attended the Alpha course. Freddie was a lifelong Zoroastrian, but he heard the evangelical faith presented in a powerful way. It's uncertain whether he received Christ as his Lord and Savior, but I like to think that the lead singer of Queen is in the presence of the King of Kings. I think, however, when I hear that word of Queen Elizabeth II, she is 95 years old. She is the longest reigning monarch in the history of the world. And there are three things, I think, that characterize Queen Elizabeth. The first is wealth. Uh, Forbes magazine estimates that the royal family of England is worth $88 billion. That's a B and not an M, $88 billion. The second thing is grace. Uh, Queen Elizabeth, the royal family, are bred to be gracious. And the third thing is respect. John Travolta was given an audience with the queen uh, just before he danced with Princess Di, famous dance. And when Travolta was introduced to the queen, he said, Hey, queen, how's it going? To use a British idiom, we are not amused. John Travolta will never be invited again to appear before the royal family. The people there, even though it's an honorary uh, position these days, treat the queen with respect, even reverence. And those three things are what we see in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. We see, indeed, wealth, riches that we have in Christ. We see the theme of Ephesians, which is God's grace, and we see reverence for the person of Jesus. I'm going to read the first 14 verses of Ephesians, the queen of the epistles. Listen, for this is the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, <clears throat> that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of all time to unite all things in him, 
things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to, his, to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you listen carefully to that scripture, there were two phrases that appear several times. The first one is, in Christ, or in Him. That expression occurs 11 times in these 14 verses. The other phrase that occurs three times is, to the praise of of his glory. I think the big idea in the first 14 verses of Ephesians is simply this. In Christ, God has given us everything that we need to live for the praise of his glory. Verse 3 tells us that in Christ, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, I need to sit in when Elizabeth does the children's sermon because she stole my message. But I'm going to go ahead and repeat it. Um, the New Testament portrays heaven as a, a heavenly storehouse. And in that storehouse, there are fruit. Not cherries, apples, plums, oranges, but the fruit of the Spirit. And God pours out upon His people love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Every Christian is given every one of the fruit of the Spirit, and we are to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Also in that heavenly storehouse, however, there are presents, spiritual gifts. And God apportions those individually. To one person is given the gift of teaching. To another, the gift of encouragement. Someone else has the gift of service, of helping. There are 19 spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament, and each believer is given one or more of those spiritual gifts. The message of Scripture is, let us use them. In fact, later on in Ephesians, Paul says, do not become drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit can appear as if we're drunk because we're full of, full of the joy of the Lord. We're full of love and peace. Good thing is there's no hangover. There's no headache. 
be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We can experience more and more of that wonderful fruit of the Spirit. And we can also exercise the gifts that God has given us. Why have we been given these wonderful blessings in the spiritual places? Well, Paul says in verse 4 that it's even as he chose us in him or Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, some of you might be thinking, that sounds like predestination. And in fact, Paul uses that word predestined twice in this passage. Predestination is the big concept. It's the umbrella concept that God ordains everything that comes to, pla to pass. He ordained that I would make that gesture a moment ago. Election is a subset of predestination referring to salvation. It's the belief that God chooses those who will be saved. I happen to believe the doctrine of election, but I'm in the minority. The majority of American Christians believe that we choose Christ. We choose to have faith. I am not going to debate that question this morning. I spent a year of serious struggle and study before I reluctantly conceded that the Bible taught the doctrine of election. I now embrace that doctrine. But it took me a year, and I'm only going to be here for three months. So I am not going to devote a number of sermons to that. If, you want, if you're curious, if you want to know why I came to that conclusion, give me a call. We'll sit down in my office, and we'll talk for a couple hours about what the Bible teaches concerning election. Whatever you believe about how we come to Christ, it's a non-essential, by the way. Whatever you believe, I think the New Testament is clear that as Christians, we are God's chosen people. And we are chosen, Paul says, to be holy and blameless before God. Now, I'm a huge fan of the movie West Side Story. When I was a teenager, I saw that film about 12 times because I was madly in love with Natalie Wood, who played Maria. Well, one of the songs that she sings, it's actually a ghost singer, Marnie Nixon, she sings the song, I Feel Pretty. Remember that one? I've heard an awful lot of contemporary Christian songs, and I know a lot of hymns, and I've never heard one in which the lyrics are, I feel holy, or I feel blameless. Why is that? Well, I think it's because we really don't feel that way, do we? We're very conscious of our sinfulness. But you know what? God does feel that way. And it's because of what theologians call the great exchange. The great exchange took place on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 describes it this way. But he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. 
you see the great exchange? Our sin was placed upon Jesus on the cross. He became the incarnation of sin. God the Father turned his back on God the Son for three hours in all of eternity because God the Son became sin for us. And when he died, the penalty of our sin and the power of our sin died with him. When he rose to new life, we were given his righteousness. God sees you and me through Christ-colored glasses. He chooses not to see our sin, but instead, he sees us through Christ as holy, set apart, blameless, without fault. If you were to die tonight, having committed the worst sin of your life, you would be ushered into the presence of God as blameless because you trust in Christ. That, friends, is good news. Paul goes on to say that in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That word redemption is an Old Testament concept. To redeem means literally to buy back. To buy back someone who was sold into slavery. Do you know what the price was to redeem a slave? 30 pieces of silver. Does that sound familiar? It should, because that's the price that was paid for our redemption. Because of what Christ did on the cross, we have been redeemed. We've been freed from the slavery to sin. We have been given the freedom of forgiveness. Paul Turnier, the Christian psychiatrist, says, Unforgiven people are dangerous. What does he mean by that? Well, people who have not experienced God's forgiveness are still aware of their sins, of their failures, of their shortcomings. And so they tend to rationalize them. Everybody's doing it. It really wasn't that bad, etc., which annoys other people. Worse than that, they tend to project their sin onto others. It really wasn't my fault. It's his fault. He's the one who has caused that problem. We Christians don't need to rationalize. We don't need to project. We simply confess. And God is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have been redeemed. And Paul says that we who have hoped in Christ are to live for the praise of his glory. If you're familiar with our denomination's confession of faith, the Westminster Confession, you know that the first question of the Shorter Catechism is a classic. The question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, to live for the praise of His glory. John Piper, in his marvelous book, Desiring God, says it really should read, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Brian Watt reminded me in staff meeting Tuesday morning that 
that book has this wonderful quote, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I want to share with you the people that I met who were the most satisfied in Christ. In 1999, Ann and I took a group of 12 people to St. Petersburg, Russia to do an evangelism explosion clinic. We taught 15 young Russians how to share their faith effectively. We stayed in an apartment with a single mom and her daughter, Lita and Tanya. And in this apartment, there were four rooms. In those four rooms were four different families, small rooms. There was a tiny kitchen, tiny bathroom. When you ate, you washed the four plates, the four glasses, the four knives, forks, and spoons, and the next family came and ate. These people had nothing in terms of material possessions. But Monday through Saturday, every day of the week other than the Lord's Day, the Reformed Church of Pushkin, where they belonged, gathered together from 6.30 at night till 8.30 at night. We would begin singing songs. A lot of them were contemporary Christian songs from America. We knew the English. They sang it in Russian. And then Pastor Olsipov would teach. We had no idea what he was saying. And then there would be prayer from the whole group. Some prayers in English, some prayers in Russian. Again, we didn't understand a lot of what was happening, but I can tell you this. The Spirit of God was moving in a powerful way every single night. These folks really experienced in a powerful way what it meant to live to the praise of His glory. We have a tougher time because we have so many other things that compete for attention, don't we? The apartment we stayed had no TV. They never went to movies. They had never even gone to a restaurant to eat. And so life was simpler. But for us, how do we, in fact, live each day to the praise of his glory? Well, I got to think it begins by spending special time with God in his word and in prayer. Saying, in effect, Lord, help me today to live to the praise of your glory. And isn't that a good way of evaluating decisions? Does what I'm about to do glorify God? If so, do it with all your might. If not, rethink. We who believe in Jesus Christ, Paul says, have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That word sealed refers to baptism. When you receive Christ, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. You are given all of the Holy Spirit. 
But verse 14 says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. That word guarantee is the Greek word arabon, and it referred to an engagement ring. An engagement ring is supposed to be a guarantee of a wedding. But I don't know about you, but I know of situations where an engagement ring has been given and a wedding did not follow. I did a wedding in South Florida where the groom got cold feet twice. They set a date, he canceled. They set a date, he canceled. Finally, they set the date the third time. And I asked him to come into my study and I spoke in words I hoped he would understand. Dude, three strikes and her daddy is going to take you out. <laughs> you better be serious about getting married this time. And he was. It turned out to be a wonderful wedding and I can say the good news is 30 years later, they're still married with four kids. The better news, friends, is that God never gets cold feet. When he gives us the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance in heaven, we can count on it to the depths of our being. Through Christ, in Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are the chosen ones of God, holy and blameless in His sight. We have been redeemed, set free from sin, to live to the praise of His glory. Are you experiencing the riches of His grace? And are you living each day to the praise of His glory? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have given us all the blessings of heaven poured out without any hesitation through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray this morning that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to overflowing, that we might spill over into a needy world that we might live to the praise of your glory, that others might see in us your love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Lord, as they see that, may they give glory to you in heaven. We pray in your strong and blessed name. And let the people of God say, Amen.